Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help you get unstuck so you can do what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner-Khan. Am I a product of my product? And I, I think that's an important question that every, every expert-based business should be brave enough to ask itself regularly. Today on episode 487 of Smashing the Plateau, I'm here with speaker, author, sales trainer, and entrepreneur, Phil Jones. I'm going to ask Phil how you can be brave enough to spend time outside your comfort zone so that you will grow and much more. Find out more about Phil along with all of our previous episodes at smashingtheplateau.com. Now, before we jump into this incredibly important topic with Phil, I want to talk to you about repeating patterns and how much they are costing you. You know those patterns. They're the ones that constantly put you back in debt and have you pick the wrong kinds of relationships. They're the ones that keep you stuck. Even after all the positive thinking, you may not have put a stop to your repeating patterns. I bet you sometimes feel defeated, lost, and out of control. The fact is, these patterns are repeating because you don't really know what's causing them. Therefore, you don't know how to stop them. You're stuck in a cycle. The Live at Choice system will help you get to the cause, break that pattern, and finally, you'll have the successes you're after, the relationships you want, financial freedom, and finally, smash the plateau. The Live at Choice team has created a training for you on why positive thinking has failed you, and you'll learn what you can do to put an end to your repeating patterns. You can access this free training at liveatchoice.com slash positive thinking. That's liveatchoice.com slash positive thinking. Now let's welcome Phil Jones. Phil has made it his life's work to demystify the sales process, reframe what it means to sell, and help his audiences to learn new skills that empower confidence, overcome fears, and instantaneously impact bottom line results. Author of five international best-selling books and the youngest ever winner of the coveted British Excellence in Sales and Marketing Award, Phil is currently one of the most in-demand assets to companies worldwide. Phil, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. Phil, why is it so difficult for so many entrepreneurs to sell? <laughs> A great question. I think, I think answering it directly is near impossible because everybody has their own little story they're telling themselves in their head. Yeah, I think that's probably the bigger reason is it's what they are telling themselves before they get involved in the process. So if I was to ask a room full of entrepreneurs for adjectives to describe a stereotypical salesperson, they reach for a list of words that would be um, fairly self-sabotaging, or certainly if any of those words were used to describe oneself, you'd feel less than impressed. So my view is the mindset towards what is attached to what it means to sell is actually where the problem lies. Not in the ability or the skill or the confidence. It's actually that people believe that they don't need to or that, that, that selling something to somebody is in some way a manipulative or a dirty type thing. And lots of entrepreneurs and particularly solopreneurs who found themselves stepping into a, a, you know, a solopreneur type business, they never have actually had to utilize that skill so much in their life to actually be able to reach out to others and invite them to be able to buy their products and services. And if it's not that, it's talking about money. It's having the confidence to actually be able to believe they're worth what they're asking for and then get other people to be able to step into those transactions. Yeah, I've certainly come across many people who 
especially solopreneurs, because essentially what they're doing, they're, they're selling their expertise. Right. And they really undervalue themselves and undersell themselves. They just don't charge enough. And, and I think, you know, undervaluing yourself is it starts with a really simple philosophy that if you're not convinced, you cannot convince. Like if you do not believe without absolute certainty the sum of money you're asking somebody to pay for what it is that you're inviting yourself to do for them, please never expect somebody else to do it. And a great thing that every entrepreneur should look to be able to do, particularly if they're selling a service-based proposition, is to get crystal clear on what the value delivers towards somebody else. Too many make the mistake of trying to sell days, trying to sell time, trying to sell you know widgets or whatnots. Whereas really what we should be looking to be able to do is to, is to value our contribution towards somebody as a percentage of the uplift that we're going to create for them over a lifetime, whatever that might be in, a, in an increasing of efficiency, in an increasing of productivity, in an uplift of, of commercial success at their end, our value should be a derivative of the value that we create for others. Right. So if, if I'm helping somebody else increase sales by, mm-hmm. let's say, a million dollars per year, right. then that gives me a, a quantifiable number upon which I might be able to base some value. Right. And we've got to be realistic on that, too, is if you help somebody uplift sales by a million bucks a year, that doesn't mean you're entitled to half of it. It means that you've got to have some consideration of of what then happens with that million dollars of uplift that has come on board. Likelihood is this going to be further expense to it. You weren't the only person that contributed towards that success. They got split in a number of ways. And my general rule of thumb is is somewhere between one and five percent of the difference that you make should be the fee that you're charging. And what about if the difference that you make is the the metric that you're using is net profit? Um, same difference really is the it's what you really want to be able to price at is you want to price at a sustainable level. You want the contribution that you make to not be one that comes into question and you want people to be happy to write the check out. And I feel like this is the opposite mistake that many entrepreneurs make too, is that they they oversell themselves or they believe that their contribution that they made was more significant than it really was. So we are often, particularly in, in the coach, consultant, trainer space, we're, we're the special source. And I think viewing ourselves as a special source allows us to know that that we know how much the source is worth in comparison to the whole meal, but we also know the difference the source makes. And I think that's where we should look to be able to price ourselves too, if we're to take a restaurant analogy to it, is that we are we are the high value condiment, we're not the main meal. Yeah, it's an interesting analogy. And I like the way you've quantified the value in this one percent to five percent range. Particularly when you look at revenue. I think if, if you're looking at gross profit, you can you can certainly be be brave enough in your negotiations at the front end that you can create some really, really kind of commercial win-win scenarios where just like any remuneration plan would exist for a salesperson, it may well be highly commission levered. It may well be positioned in a place that says, okay, if we achieve X, 20, 30, 50, 60% of X is is mine. But that's when you're prepared to be able to share in the risk with the business that you're working with. Right. And not not every consulting engagement even lends itself to the ability to share in risk. Well, no, because more often than not, you don't have enough influence over all of the moving parts to be fair to yourself to be able to share in that risk. Because you can't move all the pieces in the way you would do if you actually had you know, autonomy or leadership within the organization. More often than not, you have the ability to, to, to influence and give direction and make suggestions and recommendations but you don't get to be able to drive change because you're not the one who's following you through every day. Phil, what are some examples of some consultants or coaches who have 
shifted their mindset and done a much better job of selling as a result? I mean, examples are plentiful. I've I've operated in this arena for for pushing on fifteen years as a as a solopreneur business. In the in prior careers, I was even working with people that we would bring into our corporate functions. And I and I started in business prior to that as an entrepreneur at fourteen years of age. So it, it, examples are plentiful with regards to, to consultants that have have grown their value. And I think more of it is when they take that pivot of changing their pricing. It's when they move from here's my half day rate, my day rate, my hourly rate, and they start to move towards a more value driven um, conversation with their customer. And I think where that then kicks in is where people have perhaps developed retainer based arrangements or what they have done is that they've created annual positions of almost non-exec directorships or some form of being part of the team or very, very, very high value spot price consultants. So an example of of one of the things that I do a lot of is I consult with organizations around the scripting and verbiage that goes towards some of their key conversations. So that could be how they answer the telephone from a sales inquiry. It could be what happens within their organization when um, somebody's looking like they want to cancel or they want to change their mind or they're having buyer's remorse. And I help create crafting questions that put them back in control of those conversations and help improve conversion rates as a result of which. Now, that is a single one-shot consulting package that comes at a very significant high premium versus what anybody else would do in the industry. But the result is likely that I could achieve more in a 12-hour period than many can achieve in a three-month period. So there are examples, too, where you can find a little hidden superpower that exists within your area of expertise that is the tip of the arrow rather than the weight of the arrow, and that can be your highest value service offering. So that would be examples. Other examples are where people have developed a way of being able to sharpen their expertise into something like a book or a keynote presentation. And I've got plentiful examples where people have taken a, you know, a 10-year consulting career and sharpened that down into 11 key principles that's then become a, a keynote and a book. And they've gone from you know, $2,000, $3,000 a day consultant to $20,000, a speech professional speaker with then an increased value proposition of any consulting that they do behind it. And for those people that have made that kind of shift where they're going from a two to $3,000 a day consultant to someone who is commanding twenty dollars to $30,000 for a speech and a much higher value consulting package, how much time does it take to make that kind of shift once you decide you're ready to do it? Yeah, I, I think it's an important consideration. And, and and you ask how much time. My belief is that experience isn't measured in years. Experience is measured in the number of times that you've tried to do something. And I know lots of people who've been doing something for 20 years and they've been doing it badly. And I know some people that have been doing something for 18 months, two years, three years, and have really embraced themselves and grown their experience plentifully within that shorter period of time. So I think what you should be looking to do is whatever you're looking to grow at, you have to work through every level. So if you view, um, say, for example, the professional speaking circuit, and, and, and you have to be a brilliant free speaker before you can charge 500 bucks. You have to be a brilliant $500 speaker before you can charge $1,500. You have to be a brilliant $1,500 speaker before you charge 5,000. You have to be a brilliant $5,000 speaker before you jump to 7,500 and so on and so on and so on. So it's giving yourself the permission to work through all the levels. If you ever want Q-jumper level, then what you have to do is to study what the people are doing who are ahead of you and spend more of your time around those kind of people and see what you can do if you can get, create yourself an opportunity 
to be invited to perform beyond your existing level and then do everything you possibly can in the background to get ready, ready, ready for it. Be coached, be trained, step up, fill the responsibility. And then if you um, deliver at that level two, three, four times, you, you, you queue jumped and you got yourself a little step up on the ladder. But there is no real fast track. There is merely a case of, of, of how brave are you to step from one level to the next? Who can you surround yourself with that helps you to be able to achieve that? And then what can you do to be humble enough to say that I need to be brilliant at a level that is actually beneath my level of, of, of performance right now with consistency to get my reps into play? Yeah. And so, Phil, in, in your own business, you said you've been at this for now for 15 years? There or thereabouts, yeah. Tell me a little bit about your own evolution. Like, what was your business like 15 years ago? And fast forward to today, what has changed sure. for you? Wow. Um, a huge amount has changed. So I started my first business at, at 14 years of age. So before I'm even in the, the carnation that I'm in right now, and my first business was me knocking on the doors of my neighbors, asking them politely whether they would be interested in having their cars washed. And a few said yes, some said no, most just asked me how much. And, and, and by the age of 15, my little car cleaning business was doing pretty well. I was earning more money than most of my school teachers had outsourced much of the operation to the kids in the year below. And I built a number of businesses through my teens based on you know, pure ambition and, and, and ignorance more of the time, really, and some naivety, but, but did quite well as a result. I then worked through progressively a number of, of career choices with working through management training programs with some of the biggest retailers in the UK, working with teams that are way above my my experience and skill set at the time and being brave to step into some big opportunities. Became the youngest ever store manager, sales training consultant for one of the largest furniture groups in the UK. Went from there to become commercial director, head of retail at two Premier League soccer clubs. Went from there to build a property business that turned over 240 million pounds at its peak with a business partner of mine on a sales team of just five. And that brings me to the step is in today which um, really started out of a passion project more than anything. So it started me wondering what I needed to do next. So 2007, 2008, the, the world took a little bit of a nosedive financially. And um, my business was involved in, in helping people with investments outside of um, standard traditional investments, utilizing offshore properties. And with the lending criteria moving and the property market flummoxing, that was a business we needed to bring down. So wondering what I wanted to do next, I was invited in by Chambers of Commerce and business networking groups to start to speak to independent solopreneur businesses about how they could turn their, their businesses around in a recession, what they could do to be able to drive new business and um, be able to go out and, and hunt again because times were tough. I started to deliver those seminars, speeches and trainings, and, and, and they would say to me, what else? What else have you got? So I started to develop a one-day sales training program. I couldn't get booked to speak, so I created my own events. I sold tickets towards my own events. And off the back of that, I built a coaching business. So in its early incarnation, I had a, a training business for independent entrepreneurs, inviting them to a one-day event that then became a, a, uh, a coaching business off the back of that, that then became a chance for me to pick up some retained consultants, uh, consultancies. And I would speak to be able to fill my coaching business. What then happened is I wrote my first book in 2011 that then drove me towards the ability to create some bigger stages that I could go knock on the door on. I reached into some hand-selected prospects that I wanted to work with. I asked senior leaders within those businesses for the one thing they'd love to give, which is their opinion. I interviewed them for the book ahead of time and created some opportunity for me to get in and train with some of the world's largest brands and work with their teams. I then expanded that out from international division. As I get here today, I've 
I've been a, a speaker, a coach, a trainer at just about every fee level that one can imagine. I've delivered somewhere in the region of 600 free speeches before I ever got paid for one. To date, I've delivered 2,500 paid presentations across 57 different countries, written five books. In fact, I've written seven books, but two of them I retired because they didn't do the anywhere near the results that I was looking for and had an abundance of, of test measure, trial and error that in and amongst this catalog of, of successes that my career is appearing to be on the outside are, are probably three, four, five times the amount of failures of, of projects and missions that I've launched into that have never had the ability to be able to take off. So that's kind of a, a potted history of what it's taken to be able to get to where I'm at today. And I was starting by consulting to um, small independent local businesses in the UK with a, you know, with a nine person team and a 2.2 million pound a year turnover. And, and today I consult to some of the world's biggest brands. So it's been a, been a big progression that is, that has literally grown one step at a time. Wow. And Phil, in all of this, what would you say is your secret sauce? What's, what's the theme? There is no secret sauce. Um, <laughs> the only thing I've got on that is to do the basics to a high standard consistently to keep at it. Also to be brave enough to know that when you're looking for a promotion, it's you that needs to give it to yourself, which is you that needs to step out of your comfort zone again. I think too many entrepreneurs get comfy at their own brilliance at a level where all of a sudden they reach consciously, uh, consciously, uh, unconsciously competent, right? For Covey stuff. So that they, they are so good at the level that they're at. And, and then they spend too much of their life there that they don't get the opportunity to be able to move on. I've been brave enough to reinvent myself at multiple levels. So that's kind of letting go and shedding past clients and and thanking them for the work that we've done together and then creating some space to step into something new. So yeah, it's basic store high standard consistently, surrounding myself with people who are already further along on the race that I'm looking to be able to run in and being committed to be able to say that was great work for last year, but it might not necessarily be great work for next year. Mm. Phil, is there anything that you do structurally to make sure that you are always exercising the kind of bravery you just described so that you're constantly pushing yourself out of your comfort zone to learn something new, to get better at something, and to take your own skills to the next level, take your business to the next level, take your impact to the next level, et cetera? Um, there's a few things that I do to, to be able to test myself. One is I invite people who are significantly better than me to talk into my life. And when I say I invite, I, I actively encourage somebody who I have aspirations towards to sit in my audience, to ask me the questions that I'm not prepared to be able to ask myself and, and, and give me the ability to hold a mirror up that I'm not brave enough to hold up because often my ego gets in the way. So that's one thing. Another is, is, consistently looking at things that sit outside of my arena that humble me and test me and challenge me. So examples within my world right now are taking dance classes and practicing stand-up comedy at comedy clubs. Not because I'm any good at either of those two things, but the ability to be able to take myself out of an environment where I'm comfortable, to get humbled again at just understanding how much work goes into craft and looking to say, how do I bring some of that experience back into my work? So I always need to be working on something. If I'm not working on something, then I get really stale. So I'm looking for, for, for things and I put three month checkpoints into my schedule of what is the thing that I'm looking for that is going to allow me to grow? Where is my test? Where is my growth going to come from? There's that. I also hold accountability through mastermind groups. So I have two mastermind groups that I'm a part of. One is very much for the profession of speaking and the other is for uh, for business 
associated towards expertise. So there we look at all the money we make off the stage and how we run that as a serious business and talk about licensing and talk about where, you know, what we can do to be able to structure and IP rights and whether to scale with an online course, whether to scale through licensees and outsource trainers, et cetera. And then I have a, you know, a speaking business mastermind that keeps me on my toes to make sure that I'm brave enough to raise my fees when I'm needed to. And, and am I practicing what I preach? And that's probably leading me to, to one big question that I that I really hold true, which is, am I a product of my product? And I, I think that's an important question that every every expert-based business should be brave enough to ask itself regularly. Mm. Am I the best version of what I'm putting out in the world? Am I, am I doing the stuff that I'm asking other people to do? Because if you get caught being brilliant at the thing that you're asking other people to be brilliant at, your business will skyrocket. If you get at any point seen to be incongruent to your messaging, then you know it will cause sabotage and destruction on the growth of your business because it just doesn't add up. And is there something, in addition to just asking yourself that question, like do you have a, a technique for making sure that you ask it with some frequency or do you get help to make sure that you're asking yourself the right question? It's a recurring task in my CRM. Uh-huh. Um, you know, multiple versions of these just pop up, whether it's quarterly, bi-monthly, monthly, weekly. And, you know, I have to clear the task, which means that I have to, physically be able to dive in and be able to do those things. I, I also have a process following every major activity that is, is designed for growth. So when I do something that is a product launch or a big speech or you know, take on board a new client or finish a big project, I write a list that I call my LBs and my NTs. So LBs is what did I like best about how that went? So I build on the successes. And then the other list that I write is my NTs, which is what would I do next time? So when faced with this opportunity again, what would I do differently next time? And that creates this tangible list of very practical applications that I can allow myself the gift of saying continued improvement is in my future. And it's not what did I do well and what did I do wrong? It's what did I like best and what would I do next time? And that protects the frame of mind of saying that we are all less than perfect and that, and that growth is something that is enjoyable to work on. Brilliant. Love it. Phil, whom do you know personally who's done a remarkable job of smashing the plateau? You know, I, I understand where you're coming from with that question. And, and the hard challenge that I have to answer that is, is too many people. Like I've come from very, very humble beginnings. My dad is a, is a self-employed construction worker, worked for himself since very, very young. Um, my parents have very simple jobs, live a beautiful, simple life. So my family upbringing was, was pretty straightforward. And to reach what I've gone on to be able to do professionally has come from me surrounding myself with people that smashed the plateau. Like those are my friends. I could list a thousand people that I've come into contact with over the last three years that would that would meet that criteria. So so picking one out is a is a challenge. I, I think though what I'd encourage everybody to look to do is if you cannot answer that question with dozens of people, you're probably mixing in the wrong circles. Mm. You probably want to be able to struggle to answer that question if you're listening to that question right now and thinking, I know who I would answer. That to me would be a challenge. You want to be thinking, I know too many people are doing that and I need somebody to chase. I need people to talk into my life that, that, that have hidden superpowers in, in different areas. And I'm fortunate enough to be part of a, you know, a group of professional speakers that's 300 person deep that every single one of them is smashing the plateau. I'm fortunate enough to have great people that talk into my life from a health and nutrition and a family and a lifestyle and a friendship point of view that are all crushing it in their own way. And, and, and that is the biggest tip is, is people are either building you up 
they're giving you something to chase or they're chopping you down. And if they're in the chopping you down category, you probably want to shed them. So it's really more about the process. Yeah. And being brave enough to also, I, here is a big, big thing that has been a mindset in my, in my head is it's very easy to look at people who are doing better than you are and be in adoration of that. And I feel like we live in a society today where where that is almost encouraged through celebrity, through, you know, gurus that exist within the world of business. And, and we're supposed to look up to these people, but allow that looking up to them to, to create a suppressant when really is anybody who's who's achieved the level of success through my experience is, is remarkably willing to be able to give away that formula, remarkably willing to be able to give you the gift of being able to talk into that life. And I have a very simple principle that is if somebody else can do it, can somebody else be me? So when I look at somebody that's doing great things, my, my response isn't wow, it's how. It's how did they do that? Let me understand the mechanics. Let me lift the lid. Let me understand what all the key great ingredients are. And, and then, then a great piece of advice I got when I fuel my, my investigations with that level of curiosity is an early mentor of mine once said the words, that if you're ever going to compare yourself to somebody, compare the whole of you with the whole of them. Mm. So it's to make sure that what you're not doing is you're just picking and choosing the pieces to be able to create comparisons that bring you down. It's if you're going to take the time to be able to compare something that they are doing that is better than yours, then make, make sure that you're looking at the whole of their life too and, and ensuring that that is, that is possible for you to be able to create that growth without destroying something else that's key to you. Yeah, it, that's very sensible. Phil, what's coming up next for you? Oh, what's coming up next? Um, always plenty going on. So we are working on a number of custom reincarnations of my book, Exactly What to Say, where we are creating word choices for unique industries. We have a big piece for the real estate industry coming up later this year. I am furthering my partnership with Audible and um, Audible for Business launches in the fall. And um, I'm involved in creating some custom pieces for Audible for uh, for that big launch. I um, also have some some, what else do I have going on? Oh, here's my most exciting thing in the world is I'm taking the month of August off to be able to hang out with my family. I'm taking the month of December off to travel back to England to hang out with my family. And I just booked three months off next year through June, July, and August to see if what I can do is challenge myself to be able to grow a business in eight months of the year as opposed to 12. Sounds like, um, sounds great. Sounds great. That's all I got. Yep. That's all I got. Phil, is there anything that you would like to, anything uh, like a free gift you'd like to share with our audience? Um, I guess the big thing that I would invite people to do is if they are looking at their sales success and thinking they'd like to get more of it and wondering what they might be able to do, where they might be able to take some steps, what actions they could put into play, if they feel less than 100% confident in their ability to be able to grow their business through a sales lens and um, they're not yet involved with Audible as a tool, Audible have kindly given me the ability to, to gift out my Audible original How to Persuade and Get Paid, which is a one-day sales program. And you can capture that by just texting the word persuade to 500-500. And um, yeah, you'll get yourself an invitation to be able to become a member of Audible for free for a month and be gifted a copy of that program. Thank you. Well, Phil, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Smashing the Plateau. My guest today has been speaker, author, sales trainer, and entrepreneur, Phil Jones. Thank you again, Phil, for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mention on the show. Today, we learned how you can be brave enough to spend time outside your comfort zone 
so that you will grow and how Phil has exercised bravery to grow his own business. Remember to subscribe on whatever platform you listen on and leave a review if you can. Remember when you support our sponsors, you help us bring Smashing the Plateau to you for free. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.